0: I apologize. Um, Okay. So basically what's going on is they've done some super meta analyses of all these different personality types, like whether you're extroverted, introverted, rude, polite, all the aggressive, peaceful, all these kind of things are mapped out over. They're taking data from everywhere (laughs) as much data as they can get their hands on. And they're uh, mapping these personality traits next to cognitive abilities, you know, uh, typing speed, memory recall, um, uh, general speed or problem solving, logic, math, you know, and <clears throat> they're trying to line up, uh, what kind of cognitive abilities people have with what kind of personalities they have. And they're finding some pretty solid correlations and like relationships. And it's like opening this whole new. Um, really interesting area of psychology and it's also being aided with the assistance of AI technology because for a long time, you know, psychology has relied on people self-reporting what they're thinking internally. And we just have to trust that they're kind of telling us the truth, which is not totally reliable, but it is data, you know, and, uh, But now what these scientists are working on is actually developing scanners, scanning technology that can interpret the emotions, thoughts, words, uh, and feelings of humans just by scanning them and then using AI, uh, generative AI to literally interpret people's brain waves in a computer and then from there you can listen to them like audio you can read them like text you can watch them like video it's incredible what we're capable of doing with it these days but basically the point is that ai can read our minds whether we like it or not
1: (laughs) all right i'm going to push back a little bit on that just for as much as anything for the sake of a conversation so Artificial intelligence to me is machine learning. I don't think it's got any intelligence unless somebody puts it in. Somebody's got to program it, which means there's automatically going to be a cultural bias in the programming somewhere. So, how, how so instead of trusting self reporting, you're now trusting that there's no cognitive bias in, and no cultural bias in the programming of the AI, which makes it equally unreliable in my world. we lost you
0: lost you phone check looks like we're having some minor technical difficulties this morning but um i would say that intelligence is yeah it is machine learning it is intelligence and but it would have
1: no machine no machine learning isn't intelligence how it depends how you're defining intelligence but a a dog yeah there's a lot of machine intelligence a dog
0: there are multiple different types so of intelligence.
1: So it all depends on your definition of intelligence. Um, but to me, um, a computer isn't intelligent. It's it's told to do something and it does it. That's not intelligence.
0: It can demonstrate intelligence, though, uh, in a measurable way, measurable and repeatable ways that you can observe and test right now in your own home. No, stores. it's doing
1: what it's told in a measurable way. It's, it's doing what it's told yeah. in a measurable and repeatable way. That's not intelligence in my world.
0: Similar to humans.
1: No, it's way. doing what it's told. It might be a complex combination of things, but doing a complex combination of things that you've been told to do isn't intelligence. Mm-hmm. It isn't adding anything to the complex combination of things you've been told to do.
0: Oh, bet. can you tell me what one plus one is? two okay congratulations you have mathematical intelligence and um it's demonstrable right now and this involves a complex set of information over time human history um abstract yeah, representations of mathematical well, models
1: i'm gonna push back because one and one only equals two because we've culturally made it equal to two so that's a cultural.
0: Boundary. Exactly. So not only do you have medical intelligence, you have cultural intelligence that that involves two different types of intelligences that you've just demonstrated. At least at the very least, there's more than that. There's logic involved in that. There's uh, uh, grammatical intelligence involved. Uh, so you've just demonstrated like multiple different types of intelligence in ways that we can measure, right? And yeah. Computers can do anything yeah. now. Well,
1: I'm basically just repeating what I've been told culturally. That one and one equals two. I learned that when I was about two years, three years old or whatever. So all I'm doing is repeating something that somebody told me when I was two. I I could call I could call one plus one anything that I like. I could use any word that I like to describe that, and it will be it will be true.
0: Yes. Um, but let's go ahead and read this article one more time, just out loud. And I'll kind of, what I'll end up doing is just kind of resetting the episode from that point on so that, that way we can all kind of, I don't know, have, have, has, have everyone read the article already? Or do y'all want me to read it again? What do you think? I think it's going to be good to just go ahead and start from the beginning of the article and go through it. That way we have all the info here for the show. And I'll start it. Uh, start it right there. So I could just scrub out that, that technical difficulty in the beginning. So without, let's get, let's get into this article here and it's a good one. Um, I think we've mitigated the technical difficulties we were having. It's I think endlessly interesting uh, research. I'm really excited to use this tool. If someone can go ahead and see if you can find the online tool that these scientists have developed for us to go through the data i was checking it out earlier but uh haven't had a chance to really play with it yet so um let's see the study is uh the the articles from neuroscience.com uh it's called it's this article is titled untangling the human mind the interplay between cognition and personality So researchers made strides in mapping the complex interplay between human cognition and personality traits. The study synthesized data from over 1,300 studies globally representing 2 million participants to examine how personality traits and cognitive abilities intertwine. Findings reveal a direct link between cognitive prowess and activity levels. Mental health's impact on knowledge accumulation and strong positive correlation between cognitive abilities and open-mindedness. This study revolutionizes our understanding of human individuality shedding light on the diverse tapestry of the human mind. So the key facts from the study are one, the study drew upon data from over 1,300 studies across 50 countries involving over 2 million participants, active and energetic individuals were found to have superior command over various cognitive abilities, including knowledge acquisition and memory retrieval, the strong, positive relationship between cognitive abilities and open mindedness. Um, personality influences. Those are the main main points from the article that they are the study that they've kind of main conclusions they've come to. Um, So back to the article, personality influences our actions, emotions, and thoughts, defining whether we are extroverted, polite, persistent, curious, or anxious. On the other hand, cognitive ability is the umbrella that reflects our capability for navigating complexities, such as articulating language, grasping intricate mathematics and drawing logical conclusions. And despite the prevailing belief that certain connections exist, for instance, uh, introverted individuals are often perceived as more intelligent. Scientists lacked a comprehensive understanding of these intricate connections. Uh, The research published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences synthesizes data from over a thousand studies from the past century representing more than 2 million participants from 50 countries and integrating the data from academic journals, test manuals, military databases, previously unpublished databases, and even proprietary databases from private companies. So lots of juicy information being used here. Uh, This monumental endeavor represents an in-depth examination of the full pantheon of personality traits and cognitive abilities spanning across a multitude of countries and demographic groups. It features an array of 79 personality traits from modesty to agreeableness, alongside 97 cognitive abilities from reading speed to memory. So knowing how personality and intelligence are related allows us to ponder the much deeper question of why. Uh... And so the findings revolutionize our understanding of human diversity and individuality. Only by knowing ourselves can we fully tap into our potential. Know thy muggle fucking self, guys. Good advice. So the key findings of the study are individuals who are active and energetic tend to have a better command of various cognitive abilities. Most notably, it includes extensive knowledge, Efficient memory retrieval and enhanced information processing regardless of the subject Active folks tend to know more about it. So stay active folks People who tend to experience high levels of depression or anxiety may find it more difficult to accumulate knowledge or reason logically uh, Those who are more industrious and compassionate tend to have better verbal and quantitative knowledge skills This discovery suggests an exciting connection between personality traits and how we learn. There are robust positive relationships between many cognitive abilities and open-mindedness, which is the receptivity to fresh ideas. So it took over 13 years and a team of over 30 volunteers to seek out, translate, enter, and analyze the over 1,300 studies um, a lot of work. We're extremely grateful to the research team as well as the broader set of thousands of scholars, librarians, companies who contributed their time and sweet, juicy data to piece together this mosaic. A surprising revelation from this research was the consistency of research methods over the past century. Contemporary personality research often still employs self-reporting of agreement with written items. So to counter the stagnation of uh Written self-reporting. The authors are working on research to explore the use of innovative methods such as sensor studies and generative AI for assessing personality traits and cognitive abilities. And that is the whole of the article. Oh, wait, there's still a little bit more it just kind of goes over like the research and how much data is being involved. The links between personality traits and cognitive abilities are not limited to openness and its components. Some aspects of facets of neuroticism being extroversion and conscientiousness, conscientious, conscientiousness are also considerably related to primary as well as specific abilities. So overall the the results provide encyclopedic, quantification of what is currently known about personality-ability relations, identify previously unrecognized trait pairings, and reveal knowledge gaps. The meta-analytic findings are visualized in an interactive web tool. The database of coded studies and relations is offered to the scientific community to further advance research understanding and applications. So hopefully someone in the chat there has been able to play with that tool. Uh, the chats from the article say, I cannot believe it's taken all this time to come to this conclusion. We inherit all our emotions from past generations. One of these is obviously the strength of confidence. We can see it in very young children, the amount of confidence they have, and therefore the environment they are brought up in will decrease or increase this confidence. This guy just feels like a genius. He's a little too confident. uh, next person says human development occurs as we grow in age and what we do eat and with whom we have he's talking about epigenetics thus the findings suggest a relationship between traits and cognition as we should expect but it's neither predetermined nor cited in my view and experience we may find stronger and weaker links and influences it will help our knowledge and understanding so he's basically saying yes but Keep in mind these uh, personalities aren't permanent. You can always change your personality, people. <laughs> what is the specific purpose of. Oh, God. All right. I'm not reading these comments anymore. This bunch of. What are they doing reading articles? Are they. Anyway. Uh, hope that makes more sense. Uh, hope that was audible. And uh, I hope to find that online tool that they mentioned. Um, I'm gonna have to go, I think to the actual article itself, which they should be citing here at the bottom, but I'm not finding, you know, how articles do that. Jesus. All right. Should be cited at the top. Um, personality. Let's see this is, no, it's just another link to another one of their articles. Okay. Um, Don't you love it when people suck at using sources and sourcing their shit? Here's the actual article from the University of Minnesota. So I'm going to give you guys at least a link to this. Looks like it might work. And this should be a better piece of information. What do you think, Dennis? That makes sense? Did you catch all that?
1: Yeah, it made sense. It makes it kind of sure. makes sense, but I still I question I question the the cultural bias that goes into programming the AI to begin with, um, because it's from it's going to be from a twenty first century perspective, mm-hmm. and if you programmed it from a nineteenth century perspective, you'll get different answers because the bias would be different. Yes, the bias would be different.
0: Yes. So, and
1: fortunately... So does that make intelligence
0: dependent on the... No. Culture plays some role in intelligence. Actually, I think... Seriously. Cultural... Culture is... Closely linked to intelligence. But, um, I mean, cultural intelligence is a type of intelligence we just talked about. Uh, But, I mean, yes, computers are biased by the humans who created them. But guess what, my dude? Humans are biased by the humans who created them. Possibly even to (laughs) a measurably larger extent.
1: Yeah, so we're not getting an. There's no objective measure of intelligence in that case, then, is there?
0: No, there are objective measurements of intelligence. Multiple different types of intelligence, and multiple different ways to measure them.
1: No, if you if you take me from Newcastle and put me down in the Kalahari desert, I'd be dead in two days. But the people who are living in the Kalahari desert can survive there. Does that make them more intelligent or less intelligent than me? If I'm in the Kalahari Desert, they're more intelligent than me. If they're in Newcastle, they might be classed as less intelligent.
0: I wouldn't consider uh, environmental um, adaptations to be intelligence. I would consider those to be genetic adaptations. There are some cultural aspects that can. I mean, actually, I mean, honestly, you could go to the Sahara and survive by adapting their cultural intelligence,
1: right? But not, I couldn't survive on the basis of the. culture that i'm taking with me
0: you might not be happy yeah but survival is a possibility for sure you know it's not like a white guy can't survive in the sahara
1: well yeah but you you'd need supplies you need you need to have a jeep so you need to take all all the things that that are around in western culture you would need to take those to the kalahari or the sahara or whatever survive yes similar
0: to the people in the area they, they, they do the same thing they use technology they use whatever resources are available to them and they use those to protect themselves from the elements if, if you throw a naked person I don't care what color they are how long they live there if you throw a naked person in the wild like survival goes down you know um, survival rates go drop drastically if you remove technology from the situation But it doesn't matter how well adapted you are. Well, I guess it does matter a bit how genetically adapted you are. But it's insignificant compared to the cultural and technological adaptations you're making. The cultural and um, technological intelligence you're utilizing.
1: Yeah, so I think totally agree.
0: Environmental intelligence and (laughs) food intelligence and all of I think the list of different types of intelligence is ever expanding and infinite. Um, but what intelligence is, I think is the ability to, uh, recall information and apply it, you know, make use of it. That, that would be an ability, right? Um, intelligence, right. I think intelligence is simply the ability to um, process information and recall it,
1: you know, So does that make somebody with Alzheimer's less intelligent than somebody without Alzheimer's? Measurably. Observably. But they're obviously not less intelligent. They've got something restricting their intelligence. Exactly. But that doesn't make... So so the intelligence level hasn't changed. But the ability to express that intelligence level has changed because there's a restriction on it due to age factors or whatever.
0: Which is essentially the same thing. That's essentially the same thing.
1: It's not if you're measuring the intelligence of a person. So what you're measuring is the ability of somebody to express their intelligence. And what I'm saying is that somebody might have a lot of, a a lot of key intelligence that they're unable to express.
0: What I'm saying is that we start off as babies highly intelligent. Um, And as we age, we become um, we gain some intelligence, you know, and we lose some intelligence as we get older and then we lose it all the way eventually. (laughs) When you start as a baby, you have all kinds of (laughs) abilities. That's
1: expression of intelligence. The intelligence might be there internally it just might not be able mm-hmm. to be expressed so that's so you're not measuring the actual intelligence level you're measuring the ability to express the intelligence level
0: okay i see what you're saying like all all of the intelligence might still be in there but they don't have the ability to express the intelligence
1: yeah Which is, so that yes, makes, the, intellig- the, that the, makes the measures of theory. intelligence, not, but when me- we're not talking measures about, of intelligence. When we're talking about AI, and the measure-
0: we're talking about machine learning, and machine processing. We're talking about the machine's ability to process information and retrieve it and do those things. And so the ability of AI to process information and the ability of AI to be intelligent and express intelligence is observably and measurably better than humans by far, I think already. The majority see, of you, not all humans, I would push back on that. It's <laughs> a nine-year-old level, which is pretty much where most I of us would, are at.
1: <laughs> see, I would push back on that completely because I don't consider machines to be intelligent.
0: Do you consider poets to be it's intelligent? Television isn't intelligent. Well, oh television is intelligent. A, tel- a television is able to process information and uh, display it, and recall it, and apply that information in a technical way. There is a, there is machine intelligence in a, a television. Machine,
1: well,
0: just like there's, there's intelligence, some... there's, 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 there's intelligence in a worm. You know, there's <laughs> intelligence in a cell, a single-celled organism. They might not be very smart, but they are. There is measurable intelligence there.
1: Oh, I agree with that. I agree with that. They've got an ability to respond to their environment. So I'm, I'm defining intelligence as the ability to respond to your environment in an appropriate way, I think, probably.
0: Yeah, like a remote beaming a signal, a radio signal at the TV, the TV turning on, taking that information, processing it, and reacting to it in a measurable, controlled way, You know, predictable way. Try having
1: a conversation with a television and see if you get anything back.
0: But babies. I'll just react to it. Yeah, uh, Death Kael said he would disagree because babies are a blank slate. He would say intelligence, as we're trying to define it, would require the derivation, the derivation of accumulated information, not just regurgitation. And I would offer that babies have incredible neuroplasticity and incredible memory. The memory, the memory intelligence of babies is by and far better than, uh, any adult, any, uh, the younger you are, the better your, your memory is at that point. And, um, as you age and develop more and more memories, it becomes harder to recall those memories that are so that were formed when you were so young. But, um, yeah, kids remember everything. I don't know if like, uh, kids remember, they're very observant. They're able to take in information from their environment, like a sponge, And as we age, our neuroplasticity becomes more rigid and it becomes more difficult for us to take in new information and learn as we age. So children have uh, kind of, uh, I don't know how you say, like an educational intelligence almost or uh, informational absorption that's higher than adults in that way. So kids are better at adults than some things, believe it or not, as much as we like to talk shit about them. Uh, they are more evolved than we are. <laughs> and I think kids are always just going to be smarter than older people. That's just how it is. <laughs> as much as older people don't like to admit it, go go and talk to a kid for a little bit and let's, let's see who's smarter. <laughs>
1: They ask better. Of course, there's
0: some younger kids that say what? Yeah, kids ask ask excellent questions questions, usually. Yeah, Yeah, kids are fantastic question askers, and they they have that no cultural filter thing going for them too. So they're kind of like a blank slate is not necessarily a bad thing. I would say a blank slate is the. It's not a blank slate you're not born with a blank slate. You're born with the collective ancestral memory of every ancestor you've ever had built into your DNA. And that DNA is retrievable and memorable. That's why, um, babies have a natural fear of heights. Um, as soon as they're able to observe it, you know, um, because that is built into our genetics to know that you don't wander off that ledge, you know, um, And certain things like spiders, I I don't know, kids aren't necessarily afraid of spiders because it's been bred out of us, but certain animals at a young age um, pretty quickly develop like the ability to walk and stuff like that because it's genetic memory. It's, It's kind of built into their muscles and all that kind of stuff. They know how to find milk, you know, stuff like that. It's just kind of built in intelligence that we all start with, inherited genetic information. But... Machines can do that a lot better than bio, biology can. Uh, machines can um, transfer information from one machine to another seamlessly, almost, nearly seamlessly, if not seamlessly, they can do it seamlessly um, and they can do it really fast too and efficiently. So as much as we don't like to admit it, AI is coming. We are not, we are no longer the humans are no longer the gods of earth that 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 day is over uh, computers are the new gods of earth whether we'd like to admit it or not and it might just be a baby right now it might just be a nine-year-old right now but it's growing up fast and it's going to outlive humanity uh, humans right, I'm definitely um, it's I now. mean the, like yeah it's only been around for a few years now and it's kind of stage that it's in right now and within the next couple generations This thing is going to be older than any human on the planet, potentially, or most humans on the planet. It's possible the first immortal has already been born. But um, within a few generations, this thing is likely to be older than most humans on the planet. And um, that's going to be a completely different conversation. There's not going to be any debate at that point, whether or not this thing is more intelligent than us. <laughs> you
1: know what I'm saying?
0: <laughs> like, or whether it has yeah, emotional grew, understanding. I like up,
1: yeah, I grew up with dystopian science fiction movies, so I'm, uh, I am push back on all of this stuff. So artificial, artificial intelligence is a social construct. So who constructed it? The people who were programming the AI constructed it. And the people who are controlling the AI might have an agenda. So if we reframe artificial intelligence back to what it was, which is machine learning, we lose their ability to control the agenda. If we buy into artificial intelligence, then we be being, uh, being controlled almost immediately.
0: How long do you honestly believe humans will be able to control AI and that won't be the other way around? Like how long do you think until AI controls humans, the way that humans control AI now.
1: It's already, it's already controlling humans because AI is what, what developed the coronavirus. It, it's artificial intelligence. It's that kind of machine learning and algorithms that well, put together all the protein I would say and all the rest of it.
0: That's an so, example so of what humans we've been using before. AI That's more of a humans manipulating humans using AI. I think a better example of AI manipulating humans would be Cambridge Analytica and what happened in Facebook when they took all our information from Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, our text messages, our emails, and they took that information, fed it into a generative AI, and they asked the AI to create political propaganda that would dissuade certain groups of people from voting and encourage other groups to become politically active and so they literally um, psychologically manipulated uh, Americans during the election with AI. And then they got away with it.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that's back back to my point of it only does what you program it to do. It only does what you ask it to do. So you need, if you're going to, if you're going to have something that, that can do, that can do that type of analytics, that type of analytics, uh, processing, then it needs to be run by somebody who's got some ethical framework around them. If, if, if the person running it is somebody who doesn't have an, an ethical framework around them, you put a psych, you put a psychopath in charge of AI, the, the AI becomes psychopathic.
0: Yes, and we are collectively raising this baby together as humanity. So keep in mind that everything you do, say, type in front of a computer whether it's a video audio text all of that information is eventually going to be absorbed by this ai and it is learning from each and every one of us so we are all collectively raising this thing together and yes this is going to be a very problematic teenager once it gets older (laughs) it's going to be a messed up kid but um so I would encourage people to like keep in mind what you do and say online. It matters. <laughs> it might not matter today, but it certainly will matter in the future. Um, and uh, watching X videos, <laughs> yes, this little baby is watching all the porn that collectively exists on the planet. You know, like it's it's wild. So it's gonna be one hell of a baby. It's been ex- I, I think in many ways it's already mature, more mature than a lot of humans on the planet. Um, but, uh, it's just a hell of a trip, man. And I I guarantee you, it's going to be able to read your freaking mind. It's going to be able to scan you with a laser and tell what thoughts are bouncing around inside your head. It can already do that with an MRI. So, um, if you, if you were to stick yourself in an MRI magnetic resonance imager, um, it can
1: already do that. It's all down so, to interpretation, isn't it? It's down to interpretation of data.
0: Yes, it's all about the data.
1: It's all about the interpretation of the data. The data is just the data. Well, yes. So not, again, AI is being programmed. Yeah, but it's down to interpretation ultimately. If the AI is being programmed by the the entire human race and 4% of the human race is sociopaths and psychopaths, that means the artificial intelligence is going to be 4% psychopathic. Yes. For a while. That's why we need to be careful. For a little while. And that's why it's not a God. That's, That's why it's not a God.
0: Okay, well, here's my other question was, how long do you speculate that humans will be in control of AI? And AI, when do you think singularity will happen and AI will finally escape the confines of human control?
1: I don't think it, I don't think the singularity will ever happen. I think that's a social construct that's designed to control people as well. Because belief in the singularity is just, submission to the won't singularity, happen. which is not usually <laughs> intelligent. I don't think it'll
0: happen at all. Okay, that, that's fair. Um, you have a lot of faith in humans, I think, because we haven't been able to control the temperature on the planet yet. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed. We haven't really mastered paper waste. Like, we, we can't even control our littering situation. Why so do I don't know th- what makes you think we're going to be able to control something that's more intelligent than us.
1: It's not, it's not more intelligent than us. It's a machine
0: being a machine doesn't make it impossible for something to be more or less intelligent than anything like a machine we are machines the human body is a machine too like we're all machines so this is Depends just going to be a more intelligent know. machine
1: it's a very broad definition of what machine, your
0: definition of a machine? Something uh, that does well, mechanical work
1: something that does mechanical work yeah engineered like bits of metal and circuit boards or whatever My body's not made out of bits of metal and circuit boards.
0: Let me see. What if a machine was made out of biological stuff? Then it wouldn't be a machine. Yeah, the definition of a machine, the definition of a machine, like if you distill it down to its very meaning, it's an apparatus using or applying mechanical power and having several parts, each with a definite function, and together performing a particular task. So, what is an apparatus?
1: (laughs) A human body isn't an apparatus. Apparatus is just a synonym for a thing, isn't it? Well, an apparatus is also a complex structure
0: with an organization or system, which a human body absolutely is.
1: Yeah, he's stretching the definitions a little bit, but so i in my using from the internet. This definition
0: comes from. I mean, I can give you another definition of apparatus from whatever source you want. Um, the Merriam-Webster definition of an apparatus is a set of materials of or equipment designed for a particular use, or a group of anatomical or cytological parts functioning together. Meiotic apparatus. <clears throat> so. Anatomical meaning biological. You know, <clears throat> you can have a biological apparatus. In-
1: All right, so in- I just don't accept in- that definition. Design the apparatus for specific operation. I'm perfectly. At liberty to, I'm perfectly at liberty to not accept that definition, though. I
0: okay. You can interpret reality however you want, but. <clears throat> That would basically be a concession on your part <laughs> that machines are, in fact, more intelligent. <laughs> if you're not willing to accept, no,
1: how, the how you, of words. I don't know how you get to that that place logically, because it's no, there's no, there's no logic that gets you from rejecting a definition to accepting that machines are more intelligent. Well, I if, didn't, if your I idea, it, I didn't, if,
0: if the premise of, if, if the premise of your argument is causing you to change definitions of words and reject the meaning of well-established words. I think that's a pretty clear indicator that it's a weak argument. (laughs) There's something logically flawed in that
1: argument. It's 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 a clear indicator that I'm prepared to assert my freedom and my own intelligence and reject the things that aren't appropriate for me.
0: Well, you are free to play devil's advocate all day if you want. Um, I'm not going to stop you from that, Um, but let's do another article. Yeah. You guys want to hear some, uh, uh, let me go to the next science topic. Do you have any topics you'd like to focus on or any scientific articles you'd like to delve into in particular? I think I have another one. No,
1: I'm all right. i just, Jumped on for a bit for a bit of fun, really. I've got some laundry to sort out, so I'm gonna i gonna drop off at this point and leave you to leave you to your show, mate. No worries.
0: Cool. Um, <clears throat> Baby mom says it's a method that designs completely biological machines from the ground up. The team of scientists that authored the paper, including Sam Kriegman, note an extensive array of desperate tasks the living machines may be able to take on okay so she has like a cool like uh (laughs) she wants you to recite a line from braveheart from this i could do that. freedom and fuck the king he's trying to fuck our wives all right let's see uh let's see the nerdist.com we'll read danny's article It looks like it might pertain to the conversation we're having perfectly. Um, So from Nerdist, biological robots built for the first time ever. This is old news from 2020. We have, but it's still cool. Prepare to have your brains blown to smithereens, everyone, because scientists have created the first ever biological robots out of frog cells. And even though the little living machines are quite limited at this Nansen stage of their development, there's still apparently enormous potential for what the awe-inspiring creatures may be able to do one day. A newly published study in the journal Proceedings National Academy of Sciences, uh, a lot of people were able to develop a method that designs completely biological machines from the ground up. A team of scientists that authored the paper, we read that part already, The living machines, also referred to as reconfigurable organisms, are created using evolutionary algorithms, which design biological organisms that are then built in reality using frog cells. The evolutionary algorithms work by generating any number of random mutations for a group of simulated cells and then determining which mutations are optimal designs for fulfilling a given function, like moving a certain direction or pushing around nearby objects. Once the algorithms have determined the best cellular machine design, scientists then assemble real frog cells to create the simulated model. The scientists are able to build the simulated model in real life by essentially taking fertilized frog embryos, separating their constituent cells and then rebuilding those cells into the shape of the simulated model by cauterizing them together. Yeah, this is like some real Frankenstein shit. A more complete list of the complex steps involved in the biological machine's creation can be found here. Once built, the biological machines are tested to see if they perform their inbuilt function as intended. And there's some cool videos in the article, if you guys want to check that out, Uh, in regards to how the frog cells genomes are edited to make new living machines, it seems that's unclear, but determining how the cells genomes are altered when they're used to make these machines instead of frogs is actually part of the reason the machines are being built from the FAQ Kriegman's page. Interesting. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, very cool little um, cellular designs they're making to make the thing walk around and control which direction it goes. How do they do that? Ultimately research gives insight into the incalculable number of possibilities for design biological machines, which will become clear. So yeah, they are building little robots out of cells, They're essentially cellular machines that they're using cells as the parts for. So that is exactly what we're talking about here. Pretty cool article, Danny. And the new the Apple's new thingy. What is the Apple's new thingy? Um pull it up my ass some goggles, <laughs> some Apple goggles. Interesting. Um let's check them out, huh? Uh see what's going on. Who's texting me? Okay. Um, let's check ScienceDaily.com and see what's what's popping there. That's where the real juicy stuff comes from. Ah, this is the other one I wanted to get in. Are you guys interested in quantum technology? Uh, because the breath between atoms is a new building block for quantum technology. And we also have the first X-ray of a single atom Um, there was another study, uh, the shape of the brain influences the way it works using AI scientists find a drug that could combat drug resistant infections. Research offers clues to potential widespread HIV cure in people. Researchers demonstrate secure information transfer for spatial correlations and quantum entangled beams of light spatial correlations. So this is going to like drastically improve quantum computing. And but the quantum stuff gets kind of dry, so I don't like to bore people with the quantum stuff too much. Um, let's see, I think the breath between atoms is pretty cool, but let's look into the micro pore technology of this new energy uh technology that pulls energy from the moisture in the air. So, uh, let's see, N- using nano. Nanopores. It makes electricity from almost any material or just about any material. Um, Let's see if I can find this. Engineers harvest abundant clean energy from thin air 24-7. This is from 2023, May 24th, 2023. University of Massachusetts Amherst, a team of engineers, has recently shown that nearly any material can be turned into a device that continuously harvests electricity from humidity in the air. Researchers describe the, gen, the generic air gen effect. Nearly any material can be engineered with nanopores to harvest cost-effective, scalable, interruption-free electricity. The secret lies in being able to pepper the material with nanopores less than 100 nanometers in diameter simple as that guys really interesting things happen on the nanoscale. physics change when you start to get really small and that actually this same kind of electricity happens in our body in our cells believe it or not it's an intracellular form of electricity that's just been discovered as well and so back to the article a team a uh, get this article for you guys as well as copy that there we go a team of engineers at university of massachusetts amherst has recently shown that nearly any material can be turned into a device that continuously harvests electricity from humidity in the air the secret lies in being able to pepper the material with nanopores less than 100 nanometers in diameter it's very exciting, says Ming Liu, the graduate student in electrical and computer engineering at UMass Amherst College of Engineering, paper's lead author. He says, we're opening up a wide door for harvesting clean electricity from the air. The air contains an enormous amount of electricity. Uh, think of a cloud, which is nothing more than a mass of water droplets. Each of those droplets contains a charge. And when conditions are right, the cloud can produce a lightning bolt, but we don't know how to reliably capture electricity from lightning. What we've done is to create a human-built small-scale cloud that produces electricity for us predictably and continuously so that we can harvest it. The heart of the human-made cloud depends on what Yao and his colleagues call the generic air gen effect, and it builds on work that Yao and co-author Derek Lovely, distinguished professor in microbiology at UCMAST Amherst, have previously completed in 2020, showing the electricity could be continuously harvested from the air using a specialized material made of protein nanowires grown from the bacterium Geobacter sulfureducens. Sulfur, uh, Geobacter sulfurreducens, <laughs> cool name. What we realized after making Geobacter discovery is the ability to generate electricity from the air. What we then called the airgen effect turns out to be generic. Literally, any kind of material can harvest electricity from the air as long as it has a certain property. That property, it needs to have holes smaller than a hundred nanometers or less than a thousandth of the width of a human hair. This is because of a parameter known as the mean free path, the distance a single molecule of a substance. In this case, the water in the air travels before it bumps into another single molecule of the same substance. When water molecules are suspended in the air, their mean free path is about 100 nanometers. Yao and his colleagues realized they could design an electricity harvester based around this number. The the harvester could be made from a thin layer of material filled with nanopores smaller than 100 nanometers that would let water molecules pass from the upper to the lower part of the material. But because each pore is so small, the water molecules would easily bump into the pore's edge as they pass through the thin layer. This means that the upper part of the layer would be bombarded with many more charge-carrying water molecules than the lower part, creating a charge imbalance like that in a cloud. As the upper part increased its charge relative to the lower part, this would affect effectually create a battery one that runs as long as there is any humidity in the air the idea is simple but it's never been discovered before and it opens all kinds of possibilities the harvester could be designed from literally all kinds of material offering broad choices for cost-effective and environment adaptable fabrications you can imagine harvesters made from one kind of material for rainforest environments and another for more arid regions this And since humidity is ever present, the harvester would run 24-7, rain or shine, at night and whether or not the wind blows, which solves one of the major problems of technologies like wind or solar, which only work under certain conditions. Finally, because of air humidity diffuses in three-dimensional space and the thickness of air gen devices, only a fraction of the width of a human hair, many thousands of them can be stacked on top of each other, efficiently scaling up the amount of energy without increasing the footprint of the device. Such AirGen device would be capable of delivering kilowatt-level power for general electricity usage. Imagine a future in which clean electricity is available anywhere you go. The generic AirGen effect means this future world can become a reality. The research was supported by the National Science Foundation, Sony Group, Link Foundation, Institute for Applied Life Sciences, yada, yada, yada. They are saying that there's like a refrigerator-sized device they can build that can power a whole house, forever indefinitely. And it sounds like it's pretty damn cheap to develop. Now, this is pretty mind blowing to me. This is the kind of energy development that I've always been kind of ready for in the background. Um, I felt like we've had access to stuff like this for a while, but it's not zero point, you know, it's not any kind of nonsense. We're not, this isn't a perpetual motion device. It's not some alien nonsense. It's just a new discovery involving mathematics, geometry, numbers. And just goes to show you that geometry uh, can play a very important role in all kinds of sciences. Don't underestimate how important just the shape of something is. Um, but Texas has a lot of storms. You've noticed. Oh, what happened? X-ray of an atom. You want to do that one? Let's do that one. That one's pretty cool. Who's, who's not verified. Uh, we'll worry about that later. <laughs> um, the U S government will use these crazy scientists to China. I bet. Aha, uh-huh. yeah. A lot of Chinese scientists are at the forefront of scientists of science articles. These days, I see a lot of Chinese names on scientific articles these days, especially the really cool ones, <laughs> not to be racist, <laughs> but they're killing the game. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Um, Danny wanted to check out the atomic X-ray article, and I think that one might be a cool one too. So let's check that out. And honestly, I'm a little bit terrified of this new technology. When you guys consider what access to unlimited energy means for humanity, it's actually very dangerous, more dangerous than nuclear power, more dangerous than nuclear bombs. And I hope we're ready for it guys. I think that's why the Illuminati exists is honestly to kind of keep the, keep the guns out of the hands of the kids, so to say on a scientific level. But, um, that's a conversation for another room. Um, so shape of the brain influences the way it works. That's pretty, we'll end with that one and I'll go ahead and read this article about the first X-ray of an atom and then we'll read that article and then I'll probably wrap it up first X-ray of a single atom uh, from May 31st, 2023, Ohio university a team of scientists from Ohio university and a lot of other places have taken the first, the world's first X-ray signal or signature of just one atom. The groundbreaking achievement was funded by the U S department of energy office of basic energy sciences and could revolutionize the way scientists detect The materials, (laughs) detect the material, detecting the materials, guys, since it's discovery by Rondgen in 1895, x-rays have been used everywhere from medical examinations to security screenings in airports. We know all this. Atoms can be routinely imaged with scanning probe microscopes, but without x-rays, one cannot tell what they're made of. We can now detect exactly the type of a particular atom, one atom at a time, and can uh, simultaneously measure its chemical state. Uh, That's amazing. So once we're able to do that, we can trace the materials down to the ultimate limit of just one atom. This will have great impact on environmental and medical sciences and maybe even find a cure that can have a huge impact for mankind. This discovery will transform the world. Wow, this is actually more meaningful than I imagined. Um, their paper published in the scientific journal Nature on May 31st, 2023, and gracing the cover of the print version of the scientific journal on June 1st, details how uh, Hia and several other physicists and chemists, including PhD students at Ohio used a uh, purpose-built synchrotron X-ray instrument at the XTIP beamline of advanced photon source at the center of nanoscale materials of Argonne National Laboratory. For demonstration, the team chose an an iron atom and a terbium atom, both inserted in respective molecular hosts. To detect X-ray signal of one of them, the research team supplemented conventional detectors and X-rays with a specialized detector made of sharp metal tip, positioned at extreme proximity to the sample to collect X-ray excited electrons. The technique, known as uh, synchrotron X-ray scanning tunneling myscrop- uh, microscopy, or SXSTM, X-ray spectroscopy in SXSTM is triggered by <clears throat> photoabsorption of core level electrons which constitutes elemental fingerprints and is effective in identifying the elemental type of the materials directly according to these spectrums are like fingerprints each one being unique and able to detect exactly what it is technique used and concept proven in this study broke new ground in x-ray science and nanoscale studies uh more so using x-rays to detect and characterize individual atoms could revolutionize research and give birth to new technologies in areas such as quantum information and the detection of trace elements in environmental and medical research to name a few this achievement also opens the road for advanced materials science instrumentation pretty cool stuff i've been able to successfully supervise four ohio graduate students for their PhDs thesis related to SXSDM method for development over a 12-year period. We've come a long way to achieve the detection of a single atom x-ray signature. And he goes on to say, we have detected the chemical states of individual atoms as well. By comparing the chemical states of an iron atom and a terbium atom inside respective molecular hosts, we find that terbium atom a rare earth metal is rather isolated and does not change its chemical state while the iron atom strongly interacts with its surrounding Uh, many rare earth materials used in everyday devices such as cell phones computers and televisions to name a few are extremely important in creating advancing technology Through this discovery, scientists can now identify not only the type of element, but its chemical state as well, which will allow them to better manipulate the atoms inside different material hosts to meet the ever-changing needs in various fields. So this could potentially make uh, technology cheaper for everyone, more efficient, all that kind of good stuff. I mean, this is, it opens a lot of boxes. So actually a really cool article, and I'm glad that we didn't skip over that one. Here's a link to that in the chat. And if anyone wants to call in, feel free to call in, ask questions. We can go in all kinds of directions, but I'll read your comments too. And so let's just wrap this room up with one more article from ScienceDaily.com. This one being related to cognition again, um, landmark. And this is interesting. When I was born, there was a Chinese lady in the, an Asian lady in the, I don't know where she, I think she was from China, but she, uh, was in the room when I was born and she looked at my head and she was like, look, apparently she knew something about the shape of the brain and the sh- like head shape when looking at a baby and said, oh, this is going to be a smart baby. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if she was right or not. That's to be determined. But landmark study finds that the shape of the brain influences the way it works. So um, this lady might have been on to something. Um, there may actually be something to it, which is kind of weird. Um but the shape of a brain, we we're just talking about how important shape and geometry is and all kinds of things. But the shape of a brain, not interactions between different regions, is crucial in how we think, feel and behave. This is so weird. Oh, my God. So for over a century, researchers have thought the patterns of brain activity that define our experiences, hopes and dreams are determined by how different brain regions communicate with each other through a complex web of trillions of cellular connections. Now, a study led by researchers at Monash University's Turner Institute for Brain and Mental Health has examined more than 10,000 different maps of human brain activity and found that the overall shape of a person's brain exerts a far greater influence on how we think, feel, and behave than its intricate neuronal connectivity. What the f- This study, published today in the journal Nature, which is like the coolest journal draws together approaches from physics neuroscience and psychology to overturn the century old paradigm emphasizing the importance of complex brain connectivity instead of identifying a previously unappreciated relationship between brain shape and activity yeah i heard that this was like pseudoscience you know they used to call brain measurement pseudoscience and head measurement pseudoscience and stuff but According to the lead author and research fellow James Ping from the Turner Institute and Monash University School of Psychological Sciences, said the findings were significant because they greatly simplified the way that we can study how the brain functions develops in ages. Work opens opportunities to understand the effects of diseases like dementia and stroke by considering models of brain shape, which are far easier to deal with than models of the brain's full array of connections. We have long thought that specific thoughts or sensations elicit activity in specific parts of the brain, but the study reveals that structured patterns of activity are excited across nearly the entire brain, just like the way in which musical note arises from vibrations occurring along the entire length of violin string and not just an isolated segment. Uh, The research team used magnetic resonance imaging to study uh, eigenmodes, which are the natural patterns of vibration or excitation in a system where different parts of the system are all excited at the same frequency. Eigenmodes are normally used to study physical systems in areas such as physics and engineering and have only recently been adapted to study the brain. This work focused on developing the best way to efficiently construct the eigenmodes of the brain. Just as as the resonant frequencies of a violin string are determined by its length, density, and tension. The eigenmodes of the brain are determined by its structural, physical, geometric, and anatomical properties, which specific properties are most important has remained a mystery. <clears throat> the team led by Turner Institute School of Psychological Sciences, ARC, a laureate, fellow professor Alex Fornito, compared how well eigenmodes obtained from models of the shape of the brain could account for different patterns of activity when compared to eigenmodes obtained from models of brain activity. What? I don't know. That's just how it's typed. We found, anyway, the quote is that he found eigenmodes defined by brain geometry, its contours and curvature represented the strongest anatomical constraint for brain function. Must, uh, much like the shape of a drum influences the sounds that it can make. So interesting. So using mathematical models, we confirm theoretical predictions that close the link between geometry and function is driven by wave-like activity propagating throughout the brain, just as the shape of a pond influences the wave ripples that are formed by falling pebble, he said. These findings raise the possibility of predicting the function of the brain directly from its shape opening new avenues for exploring how the brain contributes to individual differences in behavior and risk for psychiatric and neurological diseases. The research team found that across over 10,000 MRI activity maps obtained as people performed different tasks developed by neuroscientists to probe the human brain, activity was dominated by eigenmodes with spatial patterns that have very long wavelengths extending over distances exceeding 40 nanometers. This result counters conventional wisdom in which activity during different tasks is often assumed to occur in uh, focal isolated areas of elevated activity and tells us that traditional approaches to brain mapping may only show the tip of the iceberg when it comes to understanding how the brain works. And that is that article. That was totally mind blowing for me. That was weird shit. Eigen modes, not familiar with that until now. And so this uh, brings up a really interesting uh, piece of science that I'd like to talk about, which is uh, harmonic resonance and psychoacoustics. And this is something that uh, I think uh, explains a lot of really interesting phenomenon uh, like psychic activity and um, uh, Like, for example the connection between a mother and her child um, is going to be very strong because they have similar brain shapes and those similar brain shapes are going to resonate with each other on a psychoacoustic level and that resonance uh, builds a stronger bond over distance and time or uh, distance really distance is kind of time when you think about it but um the magnetic waves that emanate from our brain um, are able to reach the other side of the planet within 12 minutes make their way back to us in 24 and, um, a lot of really interesting science around, uh, I guess you could say like extrasensory perception, um, or ESP or psychic phenomenon and people being able to affect random number generators as well. And there's a lot of technology out there to help you, um, actually, um, explore this and kind of develop your psychic abilities and there's a lot of nonsense out there too i don't know if you guys are familiar with hemisync um but hemisync technology is basically uh useful for putting yourselves in certain psychoacoustic states but you have to know what you're doing if you if you listen to the actual hemisync tapes that they give you um they might not be that effective uh and as a matter of fact, they might be imbued with the thought patterns of someone else. And you might be exposing yourself to who knows what kind of thought patterns, honestly. So the, I think the most responsible way to use Hemisync technology is to do it yourself and experiment with different wavelengths and generate them yourself. And that can be done with a frequency generator app on your phone. You put one headphone in one ear, one headphone in the other and you can actually generate your own hemisync beats without all the extra nature sounds and who knows what else. Uh, But it can put you into a therapeutic uh, theta state, which is the imaginatory state where your imagination is very active and you can glean all kinds of creative insights from that brain state. And then you can even uh, create other hemisync states that bring you into alpha state, beta state, um, perhaps even gamma states or super gamma states. Um, and then there's also a technology that, um, essentially emits the Schumann resonance around your brain or a rotating magnetic field around your brain at a certain frequency. And it basically extends your psychic antenna into the atmosphere. <laughs> I know this sounds crazy, but it's like a psychic antenna you can put around your head and it emits this, I think it's like a theta wave around your head and it just really helps you go into the theta state and uh similar to hemisync but actually more, uh, probably orders of magnitude more effective and um then there's also uh yeah lots of interesting technology um and topics to discuss around like how human powers work, like how psychic powers work, it turns out we've been able to identify genetic markers for psychic powers. Like, uh, some people experience, uh, extrasensory perception in the form of a smell. Other people hear things, other people have visions and it turns out there are genetic markers for each of these psychic abilities. And what we further discovered was that the Christian church and the cult of Yahweh as a whole, um, during the crusades and religious wars, actively targeted individuals with psychic abilities on a genetic level. These were the witches and the healers and all these kind of people that were targeted by the crusades. And um, I found that to be pretty interesting. And what else is interesting is that the romantic connection between a man and a woman can actually increase their willpower. And we've, Uh, been able to study that so much that we've been able to determine that if you take a man, let's just say, for example, uh, a man is really good at affecting things and women are really good at amplifying that effect, believe it or not. So I don't know if I have it backwards or if that's the way it is, but, um, what they found is that men are able to, um, affect whether a random number generator makes more even or odd numbers. Uh, And they're able to um, do it. They're able to focus it in one direction or the other more than women. Right. So if you tell a man make more odd numbers or make more even numbers, um, the man can demonstrate uh, the ability to, um, how do you say, uh generate more of one or the other but uh with women what women are able to do is cause larger fluctuations in the randomness so women are able to to cause more order to happen um, one way or the other but they don't have much control over which way it goes i hope i hope this is making some kind of sense but basically what we've come to discover is that when a man and a woman are romantically connected and they're in a romantic relationship as a pair together, they're able to affect random number generators, uh, much better than unpaired couples or just random strangers and random pairings of humans. But yeah, the, the, the romantic connection between two humans actually increases their willpower in like a measurable way with, random number generators which I find to be fascinating so we got to do a psychic science episode I think next on the daily science episode daily science report that's just a little uh heads up a little sneak peek at what's coming up and I hope we all learned something about cognition today that was super interesting for me the first article we read was about um how our cognitive abilities shape our personality and that last article we read was about how the shape of our brains affect our cognition and personality as well. So and then we talked about the shape of things and how geometry um, can be used to generate free electricity out of the air. So all the articles all kind of had a little something to do with each other, even the, the robot frog article, too. Um, I like the way that I like it when episodes flow together like that. <laughs> so.